Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. Welcome to another podcast with Disruptive HR and I am absolutely delighted to welcome Maggie Fox. Uh, Maggie Fox is a Head of People Operations at ExoServe and it's really great to have you on our podcast Maggie because I know you're doing some really exciting things in the HR space and I can't wait for you to tell us more about what you're up to. So um, over to you, tell us a little, little bit more about yourself and your role. So um, I've been at Exoserve for just over two years. Um, I was a contractor for over 15 years before that. And Exoserve was really the first company that kind of I wanted to cross that divide and, and become an employee. So Exoserve is um, a, a small company, but significant company. So we're under 500 people. Um, and we are really the data company that is behind uh, the gas industry. So everyone who has gas in their homes, uh, we're the people behind um, all of that. So we hold all of the data. We hold the data for shippers, for distributors, for um, networks, but also for customers as well. So we have over 23 million um, pieces of data and customer data within our, in our systems. Wow. So, so how did how did the pandemic impact the business? Um, we've actually been busier than ever. <laughs> um, so uh, I think a lot of companies probably will find that because it happened, you know, the lockdown started in March, that that's kind of the year end. And that's when a lot of stuff traditionally is either just closing down or starting up. And we were um, certainly in the process of just about to go live with a, a couple of initiatives and and um so that was somewhat exciting and and um uh, somewhat challenging but we we haven't i mean we genuinely haven't stopped we haven't furloughed anybody um we haven't made anybody redundant we have worked very closely with our people to understand uh their childcare pressures because you know we, we have a whole range of different ages um, of uh, across our people and we've said to people if when their children are at home you know if you can only work a few hours a day then that's fine we, we haven't uh, penalized we've done everything we can to possibly support um, and, and we understand that people have lives and so the normal or traditional nine to five actually changed and people worked the hours that they could when they could according to their families that's great that's great to hear and how easy was that transition or do you feel that it was kind of just natural to just switch to kind of online you know being at home and I think it was it was a lot easier than than I expected. I think if you know we'd kind of had time to really plan it and think about it, we would have 
probably been slightly overwhelmed and thought there was this massive thing that we had to do and it would have turned into a massive project and all sorts of things but but actually it happened very fast we have a fabulous people platforms team from our people's perspective who really really geared everybody up to be able to work from home they rolled out teams incredibly quickly uh, set us all up with um, all of the software that we would need to be able to work remotely um, one of the things that slightly concerned me we went into lockdown two weeks before payroll so my biggest thing was to make sure that we could actually still pay everybody remotely because um obviously that's fairly important yeah. um and it, it's all gone smoothly we've had we have well-being surveys surveys we check in with our people uh to see how they're doing and and i think I think for everybody it's a roller coaster you know you'll have time when it's great especially if the weather's nice and you'll have other times when you're not so great and you're really struggling we've been particularly mindful not only of our people as i've said with with childcare challenges but people who maybe are on their own um, and we're aware that actually working at home can be quite a lonely experience yeah. um, um, so we've made sure that we we check in with those people. We, as I say, we have the wellbeing surveys. We make sure that our managers are very aware um, of who those people might be, and just make sure that everyone's okay. That's great. So let's get on to the kind of the HR stuff. So I know that you've been doing a fair bit of disrupting. Um, to tell me what led to that change, as in, you know, was it like that already when you joined or were you able to kind of, you know, really switch things around yourself? Um, it wasn't like it. Well, it, it sort of all came together. So um, it's something that I've been passionate about, you know, doing for, for some years and I've just not had the opportunity. Um, I stumbled across you and Lucy over four years ago in Disruptive HR and um, came to one of your workshops and, and the way that I describe it, it was, it was as if my little small HR world had sort of lit up with hundreds of bitables. Oh. You know, I was so disheartened um, at that point with sort of the 1972 HR personnel yeah. that I found I was experiencing over and over again. And I knew there had to be more to it. There had to be more than this parent-child or commander-control HR. There had to be more of an adult relationship with our people, more of a partnership and, and a way to treat our people as humans. And I've been wanting to find a company for some time who matched my way of thinking. And I was incredibly fortunate. I arrived at Exaserve when the people function, they were just starting to look at transforming it. And so all, all of the stars aligned, really. I, I was in the right place at the right time. And what was their, what was their reason for wanting to, be, to do it differently, the business? <laughs> I think that the, the vision from our, our CEO, Sean Jones, um, and our exec committee and our chief people officer, Sandra Simpson. So Sandra was newly in the chief people officer role when I joined. And, and actually their vision is really inspiring. They really believe in challenging the norm and they wanted to create an exceptional experience for our people so that then they in turn could deliver an exceptional experience for our customers so they they knew in their heads that they wanted to do something different that they wanted to change the way that um we supported our people um and so as i say it, all the stars aligned i was lucky 
And we know that sometimes, particularly in that situation, it's the small things that make a big difference. Yes. What sort of changes have you made? I know you've done some work, particularly around your kind of your handbook, your approach to policies. Tell us a bit more about that. So like many of our many companies, our old policies were based on um, assuming that people were going to break the rules or behave as naughty children. Mm-hmm. We spent so much time and, and effort attracting great people to join us. And then we sent them a list of rules that sent the message that we didn't really trust them. Yeah. So <clears throat> we needed, we identified really that we needed to remove our command and control people policies. And instead we created um, short principles, only a couple of pages really maximum that use um, our peach model and to treat our people as adults consumers and humans our peach model is very obviously disruptive hr's each model but because we refer to our employees as people we yeah. um, adapted it slightly so we started out with 26 very long complicated policies that were very punitive and assumed really that all of our children were going to act all sorry all of our people were going to act as free-range children and but now we haven't got any people policies at all we have four framework principles based on ACAS advice so for our key areas such as disciplinary um, grievance absence management and individual support so we removed the very punitive sounding performance improvement plan um, and introduced a more human-centric personal individual support plan that really focuses on on setting our people up for success and loses that punitive sounding title Um, and everything else is 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 short guides on how we operate at exaserve we have a um, normal not formal tone of voice um, and we roll those as well into um, all our documents and it it means that you know it's much easier for our people to get their heads around um and all of most of which are one page some even half a page wow. so they're very short yeah it's amazing isn't it how we can kind of think as hr people that we need all of these you kind of oh, yeah the experts don't you and you think oh god we oh no we've got to have a policy on that we've yeah got to have a policy on that and actually when you really break it down i think those those kind of four key areas you talked about as long as you've got those for the when things do go wrong if they go wrong and that that you're this is as much about protecting your people as it is about protecting the organization absolutely everything else is just kind of like well it's just kind of common surely common sense so absolutely how how did it go down with the business did you have any resistance or were they kind of going oh this is great um, I've got to say that um, we didn't really have much resistance at all. In fact, we, we had a huge amount of support. I'd say that that over 99% of our people em- embraced the changes. They they welcomed, you know, the, the clear short documents rather than having to wade through, you know, reams of complexity. Yeah. Interesting enough, one of the questions that um, I was asked since we've been working at home was about uh, alcohol for our colleagues who are on call. And, um, you know, I think in time gone by, I would have said, well, actually, this is what you need to do. And this is what we say. And, and mm-hmm. I just went back and said, well, you know, we, we, you're an adult. What do you think the right thing to do would be? I'm sure that as an intelligent adult, you're more than capable of making the decision on, on how much to drink. 
yeah um uh, it just seemed pointless having then you know more documents to cover all of that yeah definitely and um what about your managers because i think the diff the, the, when i work with clients where we try and remove all this bureaucracy you often find that because there isn't an answer for everything in the policy you are relying on your managers to make a judgment and they're going to make a judgment on that particular scenario or that particular person. How has that worked for them? Have they been kind of comfortable to do that? Um, yes, they they have, to be honest. We, we've had um, a couple of questions. We, we're quite fortunate that we don't really have, um, you know, we're a, we're a small company, so we, we, we're not a company that has to have lots of cases, for example, or, or you know, difficult yeah. conversations. We're very fortunate. Um, and actually, I think, you know, now and then there's a the manager who'll check in and we've made it very clear that we would coach and support the manager. But actually, it's a line manager's job. It's not the traditional um, sort of HR that, oh, God, I've got, a, I've got a people issue, therefore I need them to come and deal with it. Actually, that's you're a line manager that's your responsibility um and it was the the timing also went with uh we rolled out an exceptional leadership program at the same time for our senior leaders um last year and the beginning of this year and uh that was then followed up with more fundamental leadership um essentials which i think really really helped underline what we expect from our line managers that's really good. So they got the they got the kind of the change, but they also got the support, the toolkit, yes. to kind of help them. Through. Absolutely, that's really great. So now I want to take you on to the horrible performance management <laughs> conversation. <laughs> and I know that you're not a fan of traditional performance <laughs> management, which is great. So tell me about how maybe ExoServe used to do it and what they're doing now. Yeah, it's no secret that I loathe performance management with a passion and, and have done for some years. Um, I've always felt it was complex, a tick box exercise, and really was onerous for everybody involved. And we had exactly that. We had a complex, uh, subjective, time-consuming, demoralizing annual performance management process, which were based on annual objectives for an individual, which were never really reviewed during the year. And then it was round off with the wonderful thing of a performance rating which everybody dreads getting and everybody dreads giving and it, there was absolutely no value whatsoever from the entire process so we moved uh, just at the beginning of lockdown uh, we moved to objectives and key results um, OKRs which is uh, it's not a, an exercise thing. It's been around for a very long time. Google were the ones that kind of took it and launched it into the stratosphere. Um, and it's a really, really simple but agile framework that focuses on team OKRs, not individual ones, yeah. that are set and reviewed regularly. And where the emphasis is on regular check-ins through one-to-ones, team huddles, meetings, rather than that, that awful end-of-year performance conversation and the team okrs show everybody a direct link from their job where they fit in the jigsaw to our master plan to our strategy yeah. um, they're owned by the functional areas so it's not um, a people operations run thing it's not uh, hr don't um you know we, we don't 
get involved, we don't police it, uh, and there's no end of year rating, which is fantastic. That's wonderful. So what about elements within that? So in things like um, career development discussions, learning, do the managers deal with that in their kind of one-to-one check-ins or...? Yes, they do. So we we have uh, we have a people development um, function, and so as part of the OKRs are very much linked to your um, to the team as what you need to do as a team to achieve our master plan. Yeah. In terms of your own personal direction, that comes from your discussion with your line manager, and then the line manager or you as an individual. It doesn't. It's not a. Um, well, you have to get this signed off and then you have to do this. We'll have an open discussion with somebody from people development to find the right support or coaching or training or some sort of intervention that will help that individual in a particular way, whether it's from developing technical skills or behavioural skills. And actually that can also come on a functional basis. So it could be saying one of the things that, um, for example, we know we're working on now is since lockdown and people development of are working on becoming uh, training people to become remote facilitators yeah. because that's a particular skill of actually facilitating some sort of workshop online um, is um, is is not an easy task so we've identified that that's a need across the organization and and they're working on that so it could be an organizational one it could be individual it could be team-based um, we don't prescribe. We don't have a training catalogue. We don't have uh, this is what you need to do each year. It's it's there's no homogenous repro- uh, approach. It has to be uh, based on individual and specific needs. And what about um, managers showing appreciation? Does that just happen automatically? Do you have any kind of way of managers saying thank you to their people? We do. We have. Um, there's a number of tools um, that we use. We're piloting um, one internally at the, at the moment in a, in a few functions. Um, we have things like rewards. We have, they're called toolbox rewards. We have where people can get called out on um, our internal. We use Yammer internally. Um, we've also got internally now about um, our annual customer service award, who's done something really great for customers, whether that's external or internal. Do I think we do it enough in saying thank you? Probably not. Um, that's not a criticism for anybody. I think sometimes we can get so caught up mm. in the day to day that sometimes it's hard to say, do you know what, actually they did a great job. Yeah. But we've learned that by... A, you know a few people doing it it's like sort of the rolling stone it'll gather moss as it goes and yeah. and so it is um you know there are people who do that that probably could do it a lot better if I'm honest yeah I think we, we're all guilty of that and I think there's yeah they say don't they that sometimes you can think that you that someone knows how much you appreciate them and you have to kind of stop and think but actually have I actually said it because yes I'm assuming that they know how wonderful they are but maybe they don't. Um, so I think that, you know, they, the, the studies show that probably none of us have given, are giving enough appreciation. And it has to be mm. personal, doesn't it, to that for what that person wants? Because yes. some of us 
are really happy with someone picking up the phone and saying thank you and others want yeah. give me something more challenging to do or tell yes. my team how wonderful I am and everybody's different and it's managers working out what's right for their absolutely individual, which yes is not absolutely things overnight is it no no so is, when it comes to that whole change you've made with performance management any tips that you would give anybody listening to this who is wanting to do the same that you wish you'd done differently or that you you know you did do and it worked I think um the performance management was obviously harder to land um in some areas and the removal of of policies if I'm honest it's a big mindset shift to have team OKRs rather than individual ones um and also to to write very simple as opposed to really long wordy smart objectives but as i've said we also had to de- deliver it as we went into lockdown so that was somewhat of a challenge yeah. um, but we had uh, we had great support from our people change and development teams who um, created supporting collateral ran training sessions right. um, and also trained uh, over 20 team performance coaches that work alongside our our teams on a day-to-day basis and they provide localized support that is specific rather than homogenous yeah um i think in terms of tips i mean i think before we kind of launched it across the business um in april i've been piloting it um within my team since december which gave me time to hone it and make mistakes um and i made many Um, for example I realized that really I needed to race each key result so each key result has got one person who is accountable yeah and the upside of this which I hadn't planned on was that actually this we found that this eliminated hierarchies and it played to um, people's strengths so we found that if we all played in our space so to speak we actually achieved so much more as a team rather than get bound by um hierarchies but the core thing that really helped us was the launch of our master plan for um 2021 which is this is our north star and it clearly sets out our, our our priorities for this year and it was imperative that our okrs directly correlate to this because it gave us our whole sense of purpose so i think that if anyone's going to take the same approach um i strongly recommend that you know when you when you move if you do move to okrs that you have a north star documented and socialized you also have appropriate training and keep it simple don't try to have more than six objectives um and each of those objectives should only have about three to five key results yeah the whole point of okrs is that they're agile so thinking short-term sprints rather than a marathon and it's that's actually really motivational um, to have those short-term targets so we review ours um, in depth each quarter and it gives us the opportunity to see what we've delivered which is great that step that pause that step back and say yeah actually we've done quite a lot here Um, as well as looking at what we need to do you know going forwards and those those short-term sprints stop people feeling overwhelmed because if you suddenly have this thing that's absolutely miles away it becomes really it's almost too far away to be tangible that's so true that's so true um and if um you were going to do it again because i think it's interesting what you were saying about the okrs because i think 
sometimes I've spoken to people who have introduced it and you know yeah pat on the back it's great and a lot of a lot of progressive organizations use it but it's your point about simplicity because sometimes mm. it can replace performance management by being yes. all about the process and really yeah. it's the, how do you get people just to be really clear about right what three things are we going to do what three outputs are we yes. going to look for so are they yeah. did you have to train your managers in setting outputs Yes. So, um, I mean, actually, when you write them and you break them down, um, they're, they're fairly simple. I think the things that that I learned as well is to keep the objective really, really simple. And each key result, if you, I found that if I started with a verb as simple as that, it yeah. really drove an action. Yeah. Um, and that each key result has a number in it so that it is absolutely measurable. Um, and I think I know there are organisations who will have them on an individual basis and use them for all different things. We found that the team ones really work for us because it means the whole team is holding everybody accountable because we all then not live or die by them. But, you know, actually, this isn't about one individual. This is about the entire team delivering something. Yeah. Do you think performance has gone up as a result of that? Because I think there's something about when you're when it's a, a team effort, everybody has to be playing their part, don't they? And it's very obvious yes. if someone isn't. Yes. And I think, and actually calling out that accountability, um, and, and we've had some some difficult conversations within the team, but one of the things that, that, that I did first was we worked on really creating that safe space within the team so that we felt that we could challenge each other and it wasn't going to be, you know, the automatic thing if you feel someone's challenging you that you get your back up and you get a bit defensive, that actually that wasn't the way that we wanted to do it. So how did we challenge people? You know, and there's different ways of, of doing that. And that, that actually worked really well for us in terms of we identified where people needed help, um, I think there's there's also a thing about as a leader. Um, I mean, I I can remember over two years ago when I first met Sean, our, our chief executive. She said to me about a leader. One of the key qualities that she believes in a strong leader is is vulnerability, and I've never ever forgotten that. And I think it's okay. I think it's really important as leaders that we say, actually, I haven't got all the answers. Yeah. I don't know everything. Yeah, yeah I'm going to get it wrong. And to allow yourself to be challenged to, you know, hierarchy shouldn't come into it. If you're delivering something, it, we should, you know, kind of in our mind, for me, be in a much sort of flatter structure, if you like. Yeah. Um, and to allow yourself to be challenged and questions and, and other people to hold you to account. So I know when we run our OKR sessions, I have someone else in the team who runs those and they hold me to account and they say, well, why haven't you done this? What's happened? Um, and I, I think that's really important because it, it is a it is a team deliverable. Yes. You know, if I don't do my bit, I'm letting someone else down. Yeah, that's really true. So are there any other things that you've been busy doing, disrupting, um, that you'd like to share? So I think I read somewhere that you'd got rid of the probation period. I hate probation periods and um, I don't make any secret of that either. I think it's such a horrible term. Yeah. Um, it's got awful connotations. It, it, for me, it makes people feel unsettled. Yeah. You're less likely to push boundaries or be open and honest. And so 
which went completely against our peach model. So we, we needed to remove them so that it lined completely with our peach model. So um, we ditched our old process, which was six months, very complex, very complicated paper-driven process, yeah. didn't add any value. And, and for me, completely undermined um, the, the new um, employee during a really critical period. So now, our managers meet, they set OKRs within the first month and they have regular one-to-ones with the starter in the, in the same way that they would with the rest of their team. Yeah. And you, the, does the employee then just say, oh, I need a bit more time because I'm new yes. and I have more check-ins or whatever it might be? Yeah. And, and the managers should be, you know, that's also a, a leadership, you know, it, it is a leadership accountability to recognise who of your people might need more check-ins and who actually might need less, who wants an informal, um, well, we can't catch up for coffees now, but we used to be able to, you know, maybe just have a coffee or a chat um, and who wants a really formal structured um, check-in and one-to-one. And and it's, again, it's about not having that homogenous approach. And so during that first period that the new employee is with us, it's, it's the onus is on the leader um, to really understand what's going to motivate that person, what's going to make them tick. And that's the problem with having a probation period, isn't it? Because we've almost oh, yeah. abdicated responsibility for the manager to yeah. in the first six months and then yeah. chase email from us in HR saying, you've got to have your probation review. And oh. actually, when you start to remove all those processes and the managers start yeah. to understand that it's not, they're not going to get chased, it's their responsibility to make it happen. I love that. Well done. Did it cost? Did you have to? Was there any fights in the business? Because sometimes I have clients who say to me, "How do I convince my my kind of you know the exec or the finance director?" If it did it cost you anything when you did your? Did you do any research to show how many people actually didn't pass their probation period before you went ahead? We did, and we looked at that. And and interesting enough, I I and I so the exec I didn't have to convince at all um you know they they said yes immediately there was no work whatsoever to convince them um i did look at the people who we'd either extended or we'd part or we we hadn't had them pass their probation period and and actually i think a lot of the we didn't have many but i think a lot of the time we were using it for kind of bad hiring decisions so instead you know that there was sort of this panic about oh god i've got a vacancy that i need to fill and and i need to put somebody in because i've got so much on so do you know what i'm just going to quickly skim over the the recruitment process but then i'm going to um uh get the person in and see how they do and and actually that's not fair to the individual you know everyone's got you know bills to pay and and all sorts and so we shouldn't be treating people like that so we've massively pushed the onus back on to uh, you know the the whole recruitment process so that people in the first place you know they're hiring the people that they want don't just quickly do it because it's not fair no that's really sensible so tell me a little bit more about your your the HR team because I'm imagining that you're not able to do all of this on your own, Maggie. <laughs> no. Were they like-minded or has there been a shift for them in terms of their mindset? Um they were actually. You know, I I think I'm I'm pretty biased. I I'm I'm very lucky. I think they're great. Um I'm surrounded by 
a really strong group of people who have got lots of different skills and a great diversity of thought. Um, some of whom have been with the business a long time, some are who are newer, some are new to HR, some have been in HR a long time. Um, and they're very open. You know, they challenged me, they held me to account when I was getting too excited and carried away. Um, they, they brought me down to earth and helped me think through the practicalities because, you know, sometimes it's very easy to have these great ideas, but then putting it into practice is, is uh, you know, not easy. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is if you're going to do something like this is really understanding and, and making clear the why you're doing it rather than, oh, it's just a shiny new toy and hey, won't this be exciting? Yeah. You know, if you can explain that why, then people can latch onto it and they can come on the journey with you. But also you have to keep coming back to that why to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. I, you know, genuinely am incredibly fortunate to have such um, diverse skills around me. And I, and I think that diversity of thought is... I love that we have that diversity of thought. It is yeah. so important. I've got people who are heavily analytical. I've got people who, you know, are full of the blue sky thinking. I've got people who love all the rigidity of HR and all the rules and regulations. But actually, that all it all comes together and works really well. Um, plays to their strengths. Yeah, and I and I think it's important to know that actually that's okay. We don't all have to think the same. I couldn't bear it if it was. You know, they were all sort of like robots and, and just did everything. And actually, as you say, sometimes it, it, too much blue is great to be innovative, but you kind of need some people who are saying, yeah, but come on, guys, we actually got to get these people paid and we've got to exactly. make it compli- You know, you, you, there's a role for everyone, isn't there? And, and they're yeah. equally important. So I think that's great. But I've seen a few things on LinkedIn um, with your, from your team and it sounds like they are, they are on fire. They are. And I think that I think that's kind of across the board, really. I think, it, you know, it helps massively having our exec who are who are inspirational and I think who aren't who also aren't hierarchical. So, you know, then they're even when we were in the office, they were never people who hid behind, you know, doors and, and weren't approachable or any of those things. And so and I I think that's really important as well. You know, yeah. they're, they're they're humans and adults the same as us. Sorry, Maggie. So reputationally, uh, do you know? Do, does the business kind of you know? Do you, do you, you've got have you got a lot of credibility as a team? I don't know. I, it's very hard. I'm to sort of yeah. while I'm excited about stuff, it's very hard to blow your own trumpet and say, well, across the business, yes, they all think we've been wonderful. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think that if I if I was saying that, I'd I'd get slightly concerned that I wasn't really listening to everybody. Yeah. I think that given the feedback um, and given, you know, the, the, the lack of challenges that we've had, um, I think that the steps that we, we have made are, um, are seen as, as positive. I find it very hard to, to kind of assume what does everybody think and are we amazing or aren't we? Um, recruitment our, our resourcing team it's slightly easier we measure our, our MPS scores and that's routinely being incredibly high you know in the 70s 80s 90s which is which is fantastic um, because that's really important to me it's hard to do that internally and it's been very hard to do that within this period you know this extended lockdown yeah 
in our employee surveys we get uh, we get good results so you know I suppose that's the way of looking at it as well but I'd never want to become complacent I'd always get so nervous about being complacent and just think everybody's happy what have you got planned for future anything exciting happening in the next few months yeah so I think there are two key things really that that I want to be able to do um I want to be able to automate more. So we're looking at our technology that surrounds us. We're so used in our, in our day-to-day lives of being able to do things on our phones through an app, to do it immediately, to do things when you know, it suits us, that actually I want that technology um, wrapped around our people to allow them to self-serve, to take accountability, to do stuff when it suits them. Yeah. Um, I think that's, but with, without it being complicated, mind, I don't want something that's, you know, unbelievably um, laborious. And I think the second thing, where is we've we've looked a lot at our um, the adults and and human part of our peach model, but I really want to get into the uh, consumer element. So I really want us to, to to become more of a products and services people function. Yeah. Um, so that you know the stuff we're doing we know is going to benefit our people Um, and this for me means really understanding our people by pulling all our people data together segmenting it understand what drives our people Uh, you know when when Apple or Google roll out new products they they know what market segment they're aiming for and for me we should be doing the same rather than just assuming that it's all going to be fabulous we should be developing products and services that that show that our people matter and and providing them with an exceptional experience do you think you're going to do some personas then yes I would very much hope so um and i mean that's certainly i don't think it's going to be quick i want to be able to take my time in doing it we have lots of different sources of people data and i want to be able to bring stuff together and 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 almost start off layering it so that we build it up and up and up because i think from you know my perspective if i start thinking um of it holistically I, I kind of panic and think oh my god this is this is just going to be insurmountable yeah, yeah but actually to start just building that picture slowly as we go and what does this mean and what should we be doing for our people if we develop this is that going to work isn't it um we're never going to please everybody um and we're never going we're not going to have a suite of things that will um you know that that is going to work for everybody but i think it's making sure that we're doing stuff for the right reasons yeah and you've got enough choices for different yeah people that's great i'm conscious that we run out of time i could talk (laughs) all day about really it's just very encouraging to actually hear some success stories of people that are really making a difference um in their where they work so thank you so much maggie for your time i really really appreciate it thank you for being such a great fan of disrupting <laughs> um, and um i look forward to speaking to you perhaps we could do another one when you've um done some more exciting stuff around consumer that would be fabulous thank you so much karen thanks for listening to this podcast for more resources to help you change hr check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.